0: The blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, Podcasting After Dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com podcastingafterdark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon, or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us, and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Welcome to our
1: Patreon-exclusive interview series for Podcasting After Dark, with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Tonight's interview is with the star of The Last Starfighter, Night of the Comet, and Weekend at Bernie's, actor... Katherine Mary Stewart. Catherine Mary Stewart, thank you so much for being on Podcasting After Dark.
2: Well, it's my pleasure to be here.
1: We are uh, we are huge fans of you and your career. Mm-hmm. Um Uh, my co-host Corey and i we on our show we break down movies scene by scene and Mm -hmm. uh, we we covered night of the comet and and specifically night of the comet was one of our many comments we made throughout was how powerful your character was and how great your character was and how obviously you and kelly maroney had such a great chemistry in the film um but thank you but overall like it's not just night of the comet it's it's not just um The Last Starfighter, but it's your whole filmography, which, you know, dates back obviously to the Apple, which I want to talk about a little bit in this. Um, Speaking of
2: horror movies.
1: (laughs) Well, (laughs) it's all, it all depends. Right. But, but my gosh, you are sincerely an icon. uh, And I mean that in the, in in the most sincere way. And to have you on our show Mm. is a really big deal. So thank you again for for doing this. Thank you.
2: My pleasure. My pleasure.
1: How's the world treating you these days with, uh, I mean, a lot of people think we're out of this pandemic, but I kind of think we're still in it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people are starting to jump the gun a little. I mean, I'm still a little wary because of, well, look what's happening in the rest of the world. I mean, mask mandates are coming back in different places and there's all sorts of variants and so many people are not taking the vaccination and um and even if you do take the vaccination you can still get it you just don't get as sick as you would or might yes. if if you didn't so i think people are a, a little quick in the uptake in terms of everything's back to normal i'm i i i I tend to veer on the more cautious side, put it that way. You know. Um, it's it is nice that there's a little more freedom, and you can kind of go out and social distance and all that stuff. But um, yeah, I think I think we should stay vigilant to a certain degree. Um, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't. It was uh, a fine year, honestly my life was basically what it usually is, except when I travel. I mean, my husband and I just sort of sit in our two-room apartment in, in, or, well, it's more in two rooms but uh, in New York and um, and actually, I got a ton done, you know, because everything else had slowed down i uh, my writing partner and I worked very, very, very hard on uh, a script, doing the rewrites on a script, and we kind of jump started getting that moving forward it's been optioned up in Canada so now that things are loosening up a little bit it's really it's really driving forward but um, we're prepared we're very prepared so I spent a lot of time writing and um, also I, I so one of the things that I really want to get into um, in the future on top of the acting thing is directing and, and mm. producing Stuff and I have several projects for that um, that I was able to really focus on. Also, so it it was it was good. I mean, I did miss traveling uh, because I love traveling. I I spent a lot of time in Los Angeles. I live in New York most of the time, but I spent a lot of time in Los Angeles. So it was it was a bit of drag not going out there. But then there was nothing going on anyway. So we actually I'm right now I'm in North Carolina. And oh. um, yeah, uh, I, I the last couple of months have been sort of chaotic, frankly. Uh, there was a film festival in Los Angeles for Night of the Comet, <laughs> yeah. um, Zeitgeist Film <laughs> Festival. The theme was LA Apocalypse. So they sort of <laughs> featured Night of the Comet. So that was really fun. And um, then from there, I spent another 10 days in LA just running around and flew out here from there a couple of weeks ago, but I'm telling you, things are opening up so fast. I just, I feel like I'm spit here. I am. I'm we're at a beach and I'm, I'm just like, I feel like I haven't had a chance to really relax and enjoy the beach. You know,
1: (laughs) you can, you feel free to feel free, feel free to take the camera outside and, you know, put your toes (laughs) in the sand and (laughs) (laughs) take take us with you.
2: you. (laughs) How does that uh, that Zach
1: Brown song go? I got my toes in the sand and, uh, cold beer in my hand, life is good today or something mm. like that. You know.
2: That sounds very good. I, I I, had an audition, like, you know, you put yourself on tape. So I, yeah. I have this little setup. You can see my backdrop here yep. um, for self-taping. And I did one this morning. I did one like two days ago and I have this podcast and then I have another podcast. coming. So it's just like, it. everything's opening and everybody's just like clamoring to get stuff, stuff made but it's good it's good i just want to like put my toes in the sand and have a beer <laughs>
1: well, well well um this is dating all of us i'm sure a little bit but there was a um a who's the boss episode back in the day with tony danza and he was trying right? to, angela i think their power went out in the house or something and and tony's like oh yo angela you gotta you gotta visualize like you're in hawaii right now and you're, your toes are in the in the water and it's warm and she's like I can feel it, Tony. I can feel it or whatever. (laughs) So visualize. Now we'll try to visualize. Visualize.
2: Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, it's literally a stone's throw away from me. So Mm -hmm. I can actually, when I have a moment, I'm going to wash my face and put on a bathing suit and step outside.
1: Fantastic. (laughs) Well, well, you know, it's funny, uh, well, uh, appropriate that you brought up you're at the Zeitgeist Film Festival for LA Apocalypse. And Right. There was a time not that long ago that parts of LA looked like Night of the Comet. You know, I'd say about a year ago. Um, so y- your film, in many ways, is a little uh, prophetic, I think. And uh... yeah, <laughs>
2: it's interesting. You know, there's been a, a few instances where um, it, it was sort of like the scenario of Night of the Comet, not only with the streets just you know bare, no people yeah. running around but also during fires and things where the whole sky sort of turns red, you know, and there's a lot of smoke and all that other stuff. So yeah, every, year or so there's this commentary about oh night of the comet night of the comet always comes up in my feed you know <laughs> so yeah it's it's, it's a funny movie, how that happens.
0: It's it's a movie that's really stood the test of time. And you know when we were revisiting it for the show, man, some of the shots you guys got into in downtown LA with everything empty like that, you know, there's no CGI back then. That was all just in camera, you know, right timing I you know I'm sure early mornings on Sunday when downtown LA is dead and everything but now that shows now that's always going to be there and, and you know uh, preserved in that movie and it's just amazing it's absolutely an amazing mm. thing to see and it's such a fun movie too well,
2: thank you yeah that that whole situation could never possibly happen again because they're yeah. really building downtown uh downtown la with huge residential apartment buildings and things and back in the 80s back in the early 80s it was there was very little residential stuff going on there there were a lot of banks and hotels Um, so it was sort of a hub for business meetings and bank stuff but when we shot we shot around Christmas as well so I think it was sort of a combination of early mornings Christmas time uh, that literally the streets were empty. Um, wow. There was no trick to it at all. We didn't even have, you know, a lot of movies they have policemen stopping traffic, you know, at intersections so that they don't go through. None of that. We didn't have any of that. It was wow. what you saw was authentically what it was like. And at the time, we didn't really think anything of it. You know, it's just like, wow, it, 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 we didn't even think anything of it because that's the way downtown LA was. Um, but in retrospect, it's just like wow, because without CGI or a multi-million-dollar, you know, budget that has a whole police force out there shutting everything down, you couldn't do it.
0: No, Mm-mm.
1: no, and, and and LA really plays a pivotal role in that film. And both Corey oh, and I, for sure, I'm in Santa Monica. Corey's now up in Oregon, um, but. Has lived in LA as well, and I don't know. I'm fascinated with old LA, specifically '80s yeah. LA. I just, th- I think it's like <laughs> kind of like uh, '70s New York, you know, where it's never going to look that way ever again, and it's such right. a perfect time capsule. Of what, what was? <laughs> you know, other than, yeah. than the fashions coming back in,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. The '80s fashions, huge. oh my gosh, oh
2: my <laughs> lord. Uh. You know, it's so weird because as these fashion cycles go by, it's like it's always devastating when the fashion changes, especially for a woman. I think it's more obviously, you know, reflects more on women. And I remember when um, you know, high-waisted pants were all of a sudden down on your waist somewhere, and I was like, oh, so uncomfortable. And all of a sudden my belts that cinched like at my waist weren't big enough for my hips and all that. It's (laughs) such a pain in the butt. It's such a it's it it's such a money making thing for fashion.
1: People. Totally, totally.
2: Ah, but um I don't mind the higher waists coming and and you're starting to see some more shoulders and things like that. No. But I, it's funny because
0: <laughs> Yeah, I saw that the shoulder pads are coming back. <laughs> oh.
2: Yeah, there's kind of like fancy dancing yeah. ones at the moment. I'm sure it'll just all go hopefully it won't it won't do complete deep dive into the 80s. Although I have to say at the time, I loved it. I, the (laughs) 80s were so much fun for me. I mean, yeah, LA will never look the same, but it was, it was a wonderful place to live. It was fun. It was upbeat. It was positive. It was colorful. The big hair, the big shoulders. And for me, it was fun because I started out as a dancer and I really do have a dancer's body, which means skinny, you know, basically I compare it to a little boy's body. <laughs> <laughs> and so when they had these fashions that kind of exaggerated, you know, shoulders and then cinched in the waist with big, thick belts. And it it, it gave me a shape that I'd never yeah. had before. Yeah. So I love that. And I, and I love the big hair I just, I really relished in all that stuff. I love the crazy makeup, um, but it's funny. I, I've been watching the Friday the 13th series mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. and I just watched seven or, or I just started seven, excuse me, where um, Terry Kaiser from We Get a Bernie's, he's in yep, it. Yep. So, he is so good. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love him so much. Um, but wow, some of, I mean, the fashions are just, it's from one which was a 80 1980 to this one which is 1988 I think yep wow the fashions are getting more and more extreme and I'm just like
0: <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> we really looked
2: like that didn't we <laughs> it's just funny it's funny
0: well, like, you know, to, to the, uh, with Night of the Comet, you're, you know, the uh, the shot of you on the motorcycle and everything with the shirt. And it's like your outfit and your hair and everything is all a part of the iconography of that film now. Yeah. And it's just as iconic as anything else, you know, and, and it is the fashion. And there's so much awesome fashion in that film. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's really it's it's fantastic. And I was in L.A. a couple of years ago when, before I moved up here and I was driving through North Hollywood and I just saw somebody walk on the street and they just looked like they were out of the 80s. And I was like, that's awesome. And I'm like, and it doesn't even stand out. You feel contemporary now. It's really weird. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah.
1: My buddy uh, turned me onto 70s fashion in the 90s. And so whereas when I was a kid of the 70s, having to wear clothes from thrift stores because we couldn't afford anything else, right? And so yeah, I'm wearing yeah, like yeah. my my brother's old plaid bell bottom pants in like 1983. <laughs> and then now flash forward into the late 90s and my buddy's taking me to like iguana imports or iguana uh what's it iguana? I think it's on it's on Ventura. Anyways, uh oh. to buy vintage clothes, you know. And it's like sixty dollars <laughs> for a pair of pants that should have cost like 10 or something. Of course. Right. Right.
2: Oh my gosh. <laughs> When I was, I grew up in the 70s as well and I had a clothing allowance, which was, (laughs) I I think it was like, for me, it felt like a lot of money, but I think it was like $20 a month. Okay. And so I used to go shopping and get where the cheapest places possible. And I remember buying jeans and things with giant flares on them for like, you know, $10 or whatever. And I'm sure they'd be worth a lot of money now, but. You Hopefully, you, I'm old enough that I don't have to revert back to those fashions anymore. I can kind of maintain <laughs> this sort of like, "Oh, I'm old," so, you know.
1: Well, look when I was when I was uh, in the '80s, when I was uh, pe- trying to peg my pants, right? That was a thing for a minute. Thank goodness it's like over. Pegging
2: your pants, what was that?
1: So, like you, 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 uh, you take them in and you roll it up.
2: Mm. Oh, okay. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And and I, now that skinny jeans, well, they're probably going out of fashion again. But I'm like, I really like these. These are really comfortable. <laughs> I can <laughs> yeah. stretch in these. I was gonna I was gonna say though, um, you know, probably dancing in bell bottoms was very challenging. But uh, you know, <laughs> my wife. Yeah, I guess I guess
2: so.
1: My wife's a dancer as well, and and she would agree with you about the whole uh, the you know, dancer's body, quote unquote, right but um, is, is that how, how did you get involved in acting just in general? Like was, was dancing the gateway to acting?
2: It, as it turns out, it was, <laughs> um, you know, I'd always been, I've always been a, like a performer to a certain degree. I come from a very animated, big personality kind of family and uh, not that my anybody else was in show business my dad was a professor at the university but just watching him lecture it was like I get it I get it where I get that from because he was very animated in his descriptions of things um, and my mother got me into so I, I come from this background of academia I have two older brothers that are super smart and my mother is you know a physiologist my dad's a biologist and then I was like I hate school <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so uh, so my mother had the wherewithal to to kind of try to introduce me and encourage me to do things outside of academia I guess and so that involved you know ballet when I was very young which I hated because of the discipline it was just like mm. so boring to me there was painting <laughs> she got me into gymnastics she got uh, I was do- I did a little acting thing for a while there, and then finally, and I was just fed up, you know. Um, I she, when I was about fourteen, she kind of tricked me into go to going to this dance class, mm. and it was a jazz dance class, sort of modern jazz. And um, I was like, I was so mad, and I thought, fine, I'll do this one class, but then I'm never coming back. <laughs> And, um, <laughs> it just clicked for me completely yeah. unexpectedly. It was just, I, I was almost, I, I tucked myself in the very back of the class and I was like, I'm just going to get through this thing, go home and I don't know, eat popcorn. I don't know. <laughs> um, but it really clicked and just halfway through the class, the instructor had come to the front because I'd picked it up really quickly anyway long story short, I, I loved it. I stuck with it. I stuck with this, this instructor, this teacher, she became my mentor. We, we established a dance company in Canada. I was dancing professionally by 16. Amazing. And yeah. And so when I was 18, uh, I decided instead of going to university or college, I would pursue the dance. And I ended up going to London, England yeah, and studying at a performance art school called london studio center where there was a lot of dance and but also that was there was acting and singing and you know every kind of performing art you can think of it it really it it created a wonderful um foundation for me so when i um and so by chance, I went to this dance audition, my my mentor that I mentioned earlier, when I told her I was going to London, she says, take advantage of any situation that you possibly can, any kind of audition, anything, get that kind of experience under your belt. Mm. So I happened to run into a couple of friends who were in my dance class and they were heading, they'd heard about this dance audition for a movie so I, you know, I heard my mentor voice in my ears. So I thought, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll follow them. And I ended up in this cattle call audition with millions of dancers. And the director spotted me and he pulled me out of the group and he asked me if I could act and, and had me read for the lead role. And I ended up getting the lead role in this uh, movie.
1: Are we talking about the apple?
2: That's the
1: apple. <laughs> I mean, futuristic you know, rock musical. Well, uh, I'm I'm more fascinated with the fact that you've done um, a lot of musical oriented films. Like I'm a really big fan of uh, the the scenes from the gold mine, right?
2: Oh, talk about eighties! Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know stuff I'm wearing in that, and like woohoo! Oh, it's so great!
1: Know. It's so. And, and then, and then later on, what was it? Last year, you did your film, um, the the holiday rock movie, right?
2: Yeah, uh, um, rock and roll Christmas.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so, is there a connection here with your? I'm 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 a musician as well, and I was a, I did a school of rock thing with kindergartners for many years, and nice. very fun. And I, I'm very musically inclined in that way, and I love performance, and I love. Mm-hmm. The, the idea of, I love rock music, uh, um, original rock music in movies. And so, mm-hmm. like, you know, so the Apple, I think, is very much a guilty pleasure. But mm-hmm. is there it, a connection? It, you know, it, with- has
2: some awesome, it has some awesome music in it. There's some, you know, some, I don't know, iffy lyrics in there somewhere. But the music itself was uh, uh, written in, uh, by some really incredibly talented people.
1: Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Are are you drawn to films that are like have this, this kind of musical vibe to them?
2: Absolutely. There's no question. I've always loved music and singing. I was one of those kids that would come home after school and put on, you know, an album and just cuz my par- my parents would be at work and uh, my brothers were whatever doing whatever they were doing. I would just sit in my living room with the record player blasting, singing at the top of my lungs. I've always just really loved music and singing. Um, I've been around a lot of musicians in my day. I love it. I have to say, I love just the whole music uh, genre, whatever, anything to do with music.
1: Well, that, that film uh, scenes from a goldmine has a tremendous cast as well. Right. Steve rails back and uh, Cameron die. And, and um,
2: yes, it does.
1: Joe, Joey pants,
2: Joe Pantliano, <laughs> Joey pants, such a great guy. Such a great guy.
1: A friend of mine did a movie with, with uh, Joey pants uh, a couple years ago yeah. and just said that it was like, you know, such a character, right? Yes.
2: He He's <laughs> a lovely, lovely guy. I love him. He was, he was fun to work with. Um I mentioned Bobby Woods, who is a music producer. He mm-hmm. uh he produced the music on this as well. And I think he's worked with Madonna a bunch and all that other stuff. Really terrifically talented people. Yeah, very talented people involved with this movie. Um, yeah, and Joe, Joe, Joey, Joey Pants. <laughs> I just saw him not too long ago, just before the pandemic, everything shut down. He was doing a play in New York and um oh. I have a really close friend who happens to live in New York, who is the script supervisor on that movie. And she found out that he was doing this play. So we, we all bought tickets and went to see the play. Nice. Um, it was right on the cusp of the pandemic. And in fact, the director himself had become sick. And mm. at the time they weren't sure what it was. And I think he he's, is fine, but he was really, really sick. So they were, they sort of struggled through the production without the director, which is a drag, but it was really so neat to see him again.
1: Yeah, he's, I mean, so many movies that, th- th- this is the thing, like, we could list off all the movies that we love of these people that are very well known, or we can bring up scenes from a gold mine. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the way, Cameron Die is a tremendous musician in his own right as well.
2: He is wonderful. He and I are still very good friends. Lance Guest, who um, is in the Last Starfighter, yeah, of as course. Alex. Yeah. we've stayed very, very close. And yeah. um, Cameron Die uh, rents an apartment um, in uh, uh, in Lance's house. So oh. whenever I'm, yeah, yeah. So I, I just saw him a couple of weeks ago. Cam, yeah, he's that's a small. And, and, that's a
1: weird conne- That's a cool connection.
2: Yeah. Well, he was also in The Last Starfighter, believe it or not.
1: He was. He was. And yeah, in, in a smaller role. Um, right. I mean, honestly, in, in many ways, I think he's a very underrated actor. Um, but but I love I love that you and, and Lance have kept this relationship going. Clearly, you know, fanboys, fanboys were like, oh, my gosh, I love your connection. You guys have in the movie and still is a, it's a real thing. You have this deep yeah. friendship for well over 20, 30 years. Right.
2: Yeah, he's a, he's a wonderful guy. And yes, I, I go to, I have this joke where when I spend any time in LA, I usually try to find the cheapest place I can because I'll be there for a little while. And I don't spend that much money on food, you know, and Understandable. So he and his wife, <laughs> he and his wife uh, um, will invite me over for just like this awesome dinner a few times. And it would, and he's really into wine. So I mm. I get to really indulge when I'm in Los Angeles with Lance. And I usually see Cam while I'm there too, because he lives just downstairs. So um, yeah, they've, it's like, it's like Larry
1: on Three's Company, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, he's wonderful. And he spent um, a few years in New York, too, doing a play on Broadway. So I mean, so we've really, you know, been able to stay in touch, which is wonderful. And now, You know, there's so much talk about doing a sequel for the Last Starfighter. So we're talking about that a lot. It's been so terrific being able to stay in touch with uh, some of these people that I worked with so long ago. I mean, at at conventions, for instance, you run in like Nick Castle, the director, who was also, you know, in Halloween. Whatever, I'm I'm not very good at horror movies, but I'm going to be involved with this little uh, Friday the Thirteenth thing. So I've been catching up. That's Uh why I'm catching
1: that. um, How so? Can you can you can you dig a little deeper into that? How so? Are you going to be involved in the Friday the Thirteenth franchise?
2: Friday the Thirteenth, 2024. No, um, no, it's just a little side project that a friend of mine is doing. Um, uh, uh, yeah. So that. Uh, I, as I mentioned before, I'm getting into directing a little more and he asked me if I would direct some stuff for it. So that's cool.
1: I'm, that's really um, cool. Researching.
2: Yeah, oh, that's, that's, that's really cool.
0: That's great. You, uh, you mentioned obviously Terry Kaiser, uh, weekend at Bernie's. Um, I've noticed lately that it's kind of been a coming back to the foreground and people are really going back and, and appreciating what, you know, he did in, in that role and comparing it to like Charlie Chaplin and you watch it and you're like, that's just, it's incredible, but obviously he could not have pulled it off without everybody else in the cast, you know, working with him and, and all that kind of stuff. But what we're left with is a, is a movie that holds up and it, we've never seen Another Weekend at Bernie's, like, nothing's like that. There's no movie like that. Not even Weekend at Bernie's too, you know? But, like, Weekend <laughs> at Bernie's is such a magical, magical movie, and and Terry Kaiser was, is unbelievable in it.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a real sign of a, 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 a true, talented actor. You know, he's, he's dead for most of the thing, and yet you can't take your eyes off yeah. him. You know, <laughs> how do you do something like that? It, it's really, it really is amazing. I mean, he was, he was wonderful in the movie and um, yeah and not an easy role at all I mean you don't really learn how to play dead in acting school you know so he had to create this character he really had to create a dead character that was interesting and and boy he was the one who could do it I mean like I said I just started watching Friday the 13th 7 and you just see his all the subtleties that he brings to his character, that makes him so—you in- just can't take your eyes off him when when he's on camera. Um, so talented, uh, yeah. And, and you know, Weekend at Bernie's has become kind of like—I don't know—every sitcom seems to have a joke about Weekend at Bernie's <laughs> one way or the other. Which is what—it's wonderful. I mean, I love it, and uh, yeah, it's just uh, it. It, it really does stand out, I think. I think it is unique. Um, you know, uh, Will Ferrell has a kind of, I, I kind of call, called it that sort of sophomoric sense of humor yeah. where it's just like anything goes kind of thing. And and the closest I can think of, I think, is like Will Ferrell. Um, but it still isn't, the, it's still, I don't know. There's It is different. I haven't, I agree with you. I haven't seen anything like like it before I, I i think i even heard something about them remaking it
0: and no. I, yeah I, I just don't I see how the how you could do that you know but in, in you know we've you have such an amazing career like we were saying but just like these three movies that we were touching on right now um i mean they're they're so iconic uh so mainstream iconic you know anyone would know mm-hmm. it but they're so different night of the comet yeah. is so different from last starfighter and it's so different from weekend at bernie's it's it's so nice to see you in just such like these different projects and these different stories. And yet they're still turn out to be, they hold up in the, the stand the test of time. Obviously that has, a lot of that has to do with you and, and all your other actors in the film and the love that are, that are put into these films. It's just, they, but it's interesting that they're so different from one another, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. And all in the same kind of era. You, that's one thing that, uh, you know, looking back at my career, I'm really pleased about and grateful for that I've been able to play so many different kinds of characters, right? You yeah. know, um, uh, a lot of actors want, it, feel like there's this whole thing going around where, you know, you had to fit into this specific mold and that's how you sold yourself. You know, you don't want to veer outside. How, who are you and what are they going to hire you for? And I was like, that just seems so absolutely counter to what we are supposed to be doing as actors. You know, as actors, you create new characters and you explore, I mean, ultimately, what you bring to the character is in you somewhere, but it's so much fun digging it up, you know, and, and using your life experience and using the different parts of your personality and all that other stuff. So I know I've really, um, that's one of the things that really appealed to me about Night at the Comet was, I have this sort of look like the girl, girl next door kind of a look. Um, or had <laughs> now I'm grandma <laughs> next door. <laughs> no, um, but, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but you know, Reggie and the, the comet was really this tough chick. I mean, she yeah. could look after herself. Yeah, and it, what combined with that, the fact that the movie was very much tongue in cheek as well, which is so much fun. Another sort of uh, reason that made it a unique movie. But that's another thing. But yeah, you know, this tough uh independent woman uh, who could look after herself in an apocalypse. Um, and I really, I've said this before, but I really feel like she was more who I am, you know, I, I'm, I'm much more independent. And I, I was never really girly girly, you know, I, I i liked hanging out with guys a lot more than I liked hanging out with girls. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of a thing. So it was, it was super fun for me to shoot Night of the Comet.
1: Nice. Well, I think about I think about Michael Bowen in, in Night of the Comet, oh. and then I think about Cameron Die in in Goldmine. And like, wait, but those guys read Odds and Valley Girl. And uh, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. You choose
1: one. Would you have gone with the the Valley Kid or the kid from the West Side?
2: Uh, the, 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 are you asking me in um, in Valley Girl? Sure. Yeah for me (laughs) yeah Uh, i don't know i might go for the west side guy
1: you got it you got to go with the guy from venice
2: right exactly venice or santa monica
1: (laughs) right (laughs) well i I was gonna say too yeah you, you 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 touch upon being this this tough this tough chick right and then yeah. in, in in Starfighter, you're very much a tough chick. You know, you stand up for yourself. And and I love that. It, it's such a, I think that's another reason why these movies stand the test of time is because there's a level of, of positivity and role models there where mm. so much is lacking. Um, you know, I, I think we're, we're becoming more aware of that now with proper representation and, and, and a balance, right? Uh, but those are mm-hmm. great examples of two, strong female characters for young people to look up to i'm not just talking about girls i'm also talking about young boys to go yeah that's what it's supposed to be like yeah it's not supposed to be uh pink and blue and that's it like i love i love that about your dynamic range it's great
2: oh well thank you thank you very much i mean yeah the it's so cliche you know well it, it has it's slowly changing but it has up to this Time than like a boys' club, first of yeah. all, and yeah. so most movies have a boys' mentality, and so it's all about tough guys, and um, you know, and 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 the girl. I mean, I've done tons of movies where I was the only female in the whole thing, yeah. um, because you got to have that element in there. But that it, it is nice to. And and when we were shooting Night of the comment we weren't sitting around going, "Oh, can you believe this is a." a a female-driven movie with these girls that can look out for themselves. We just like the script. I mean, the script was so much fun. Tom Everhart's script where he literally interviewed teenage girls about what they would do if there was an apocalypse. And to his shock and surprise, they were like, excellent. (laughs) (laughs) You mean our parents aren't here? We can do whatever we want. Right. And that that is a, another unique twist in movies, you know, because everybody's always screaming and yelling and they're all gonna die. And and in our you know, and zombies are slowly killing off everybody. And in our case, it was like, yeah, bam, you know, to the zombie. <laughs> and then it's like, let's go shopping. Hey, the stores are open. <laughs> Um so and I I agree with you. I think that the characters in uh Last Starfighter and Night of the Comet are identifiable for Mm. that aged audience. You know, they're finally seeing characters that are like them. Yeah. In they're just ordinary people in extraordinary situations. And I I feel like so many, you know, sci fi action packed movies are just unattainable characters for the audience. It's like, yeah. yeah, it's exciting watching them do all this stuff, but, you know, you have to be a movie star to do that or something like that. And right. um, with Reggie's and, Reggie and Sam, it's just like, there's a couple of goofy girls. And in um, The Last Starfighter, particularly with Lance's character, because he really drives the movie, but he's just a kid from the trailer park yeah um yeah vernon washington's line you know you got to grab on with both hands and and hold tight or whatever yeah i love <laughs> Paraphrasing, that but i know it, it really was what the movie was about you know take advantage of extraordinary situations if they um, come along um yeah the audience could relate to his frustration his going through this pivotal time in his life where he's got to make these life decisions and he can't even get into college the college no. that he wants to uh, and then this happens so it creates a sense of possibility and same same with playing of the comments
0: I, I showed my wife um, all three of the movies we've talked about uh you know pretty much so far mm-hmm. and uh she mm-hmm. she's a she's a big horror fan but never, she never she I guess she kind of missed Night of the Comet when she was younger um and mm-hmm. and she liked all of them but she walked away and she was like you know wow I really wish I saw Night of the Comet when I was like you know just younger and right. everything it, she, yeah and it's it's everything you said it's it's and it's not so much in your face it doesn't it's not trying to be you know uh, it just is and I think that's what works about it it it, it just you, mm-hmm. your characters are just strong characters and it's not like they're they're like oh let's set out and try to do this it just it is and you know she was very Mm -hmm. impressed by that and it was like she was like wow this is awesome and then of course you start seeing like we wouldn't have had Buffy the Vampire Slayer without Night of the Comet Mm -hmm. like all these strong Mm -hmm. female characters that came in the 90s uh, because the creators Mm -hmm. were so enamored and I think Night of the Comet was a huge influence on a lot of these awesome female characters that came you know
2: yeah apparently that Theory has it that uh, Joss Whedon, you know, took Sam's character and created mm. Buffy, ah,
0: which that's is great. Right. <laughs> I didn't know it's that. It's fantastic.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes yeah, sense. I no, guess. No, no, yeah. No. So yeah, I mean, sure. I it, yeah, I I feel I feel very good about these little movies, and and it's astonishing how how long they've hung in there, and it just seems there seems to be this momentum of it, these things are getting more and more popular. It's just, it's kind of mind boggling because, you know, you go, you do a movie and it comes out and then it goes. And you say, you, especially at that time, we were all sort of distracted by working a lot and things like that. And then 20 years goes by and all of a sudden everybody thinks you're the greatest thing in the world for doing Night of the Calm. It's like, (laughs) what? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will tell you,
1: i will I will tell you personally, you know, uh you never know what movie's gonna hit you, right? What movie's gonna stay mm. with you. And so many of your films st- have stayed with me throughout the years. so World Gone wild because I was a huge uh Michael Pere fan, you know, and
2: oh, I and, love that movie and Bruce Dern, oh my God, it's a
1: great cast, <laughs>
2: incredible adam and uh, yes, yeah, Pere is just like. I have to work opposite him. Well, okay. <laughs> I mean, oh my God, he was like just the most beautiful male specimen and very, very nice guy. And Michael Peret or Adam Ann. like that. Oh, <laughs> Michael, Michael Perret. Perret. Oh yeah. yeah. Adam just scared me. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> he plays such an evil character that in that. Um, I became really good friends with Anthony James, who plays that, uh, cannibal. He's kind yeah, of like, <laughs> who,
1: who is very and creepy like... by the way, like his, his look, you know, from back oh. in the day in the Clint Eastwood Westerns and whatnot.
2: That's right. Yeah. He had that look and he wrote a book called acting my face. Ooh. Um, yeah. Uh, one of the most lovely human beings you'll ever meet. He passed awesome. away sadly recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. not too, well, a couple of years ago, but, uh. Yeah, we became really good friends. He's also an incredible poet and mm. artist. I have a couple of his uh, paintings oh. and poems, and, and I have his nice. book. <laughs> yeah, he's Rem- a really, really good guy.
1: Remind us of the book title again?
2: It's called Acting My Face.
1: I have to check that out for sure. Yeah, and, and it's also so not interesting. To, not to mention, uh, also passed away, Julius Carey from... Uh, you know, yeah. who's, fin- who's great in it too. Show Nuff from Last Dragon. and
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved his outfit. That that uh, bodysuit that he has to wear. Poor guy.
1: <laughs> See, this is the thing. This is the thing. That movie, I think, needs to be re-seen. Like everything's getting re-released, right? And and uh, a documentary or a commentary or whatever. And, you know, a Michael Perret. Mm-hmm. Michael Perret's got a great story too of how he became like where, he, how he got his start in Hollywood. And, um, mm-hmm. but I was a huge fan of his too. And I was like, oh, he's such a cool dude. And I wanted to be him when I was a kid and I idealized him, but that movie often gets overlooked and it's a really, it's a really fun film.
2: I I think it's great. I, I just like, it's again, it's sort of a unique story um, slash situation. It covers so much ground, like cults and I mean, it, it could be, you could you could make that movie today yeah. with some of the weird political shit that goes on in it. Um, yeah, no, I, I loved it. Plus, I loved being kind of a, a desert rat, you know? Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I'm i a real desert, dry person. And I had these, uh, it, it was warm out there, but I wore these sort of drapey clothes that didn't get hot. And, and I had my coolest sort of, I want to say mucklucks, but that's not right. Um, uh, leather kind of, uh, probably Native American style or yeah. or Mexican style leather boots that mm-hmm. nothing you could walk on anything like, and and nothing would penetrate them. I love those things. I, I just I was living again, living vicariously through my characters that's one of the best parts about being an actor is you just get to pretend to be all these different kinds of people that you just aren't in real life it's yeah. fantastic
1: <laughs> well you're, you're drawing from your own personal experiences too obviously in playing these roles and and things that you love being a desert rat like you said and uh, yeah. wearing uggs before they were uggs <laughs> yeah, kind of
2: kind of no way better uggs. yeah way better than uggs
1: there was a there was a GI Joe. You remember the GI Joe cartoon back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. And there was a there was a character. They, they always tokenized characters on that show, but uh, Spirit. He was the Native American, right? And he had these cool okay. boots like that too. The boots you're describing, and I wanted those right. so bad when I was a kid. I was like, I want to walk, go to school, and these cool like in
2: those, right? With the, <laughs> they were thick leather with the silver button. Yeah, they were the best. You could have worn those. Anywhere in anything, you can more in the snow. You know, rock climbing, desert, everything. There, I just loved them.
1: <laughs> I love that. When well, I love that, that movie holds such a, a warm place in your heart to this day.
2: It does. I mean, I ran into Bruce Dern maybe five years ago. He just done that movie. Uh, is it Winter Storm Winter something? I forget the title of it. Um, but he, it was screening at um, uh, the Screen Actors Guild Theater in um, New, New York, and mm. I went with my, my husband, and I went backstage afterwards to say hello to him. And you know, Bruce Stern has never drunk, drank. He, he doesn't drink alcohol. He doesn't smoke. He, he used to be a, an incredible runner, so he's he's kind of a crazy person in a way, and he doesn't forget. <laughs> anything they were interviewing him after the screening and uh he would just go on and on and on with stories anyway i i went back and i thought oh he'll never remember me he, said, oh, he just was it was like it was yesterday That's awesome. and he was remembering little specific things about it yeah 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 he was great he was a real um champion of mine you know he he really was very very supportive and and kind to me
1: well he's a legend too and and and
2: He's a legend, it,
1: And don't, don't, don't disagree with what I'm about to say. You are too. I mean, I think you sincerely, <laughs> sincerely. And I mean, the, I, I mean that in the sense, of like the longevity and the, and like you said, the diversity of your roles. And it's fine if you play the same gangster in every single movie, that is what it is, you know, but the fact that you have such a, a great roadmap of your life on screen. And yeah. and and we connect with so many mm-hmm. of these characters. You know, you brought up you brought up that you're watching the Friday the Thirteenth movies, and
2: <laughs> I love that
1: genre series too. I know Corey does, obviously, mm-hmm. but um, they're so cliche, right? In, in so many of the roles, mm-hmm. and it became kind of a parody in a sense, which is fine. It's all good. Yeah. I'm not I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying like your roles, your female empowered roles like, you know, you're talking, talking about seeing Terry Kaiser on screen. I would see so many of these actors in these movies and I'm like, Oh, I really love that guy. I really love him or her. And then they get killed by Jason. I'm like, no, they were supposed to live. <laughs> yeah. Can we well, that's, the script? That, that
2: cracks me up. Yeah. That cracks me up about Friday the 13th. And again, I'm not a huge horror genre person. I just, the problem with horror movies is they really scare me. So I don't, it's not like entertaining to me. It's just like, Oh my God, I'm going to be scared. So, For me, that's not fun. I'd rather cry or laugh or fall madly in love or something like that. Um, It's kind of a a joke. As a matter of fact, (laughs) I'm I'm kind of going in circles here, but I was watching one of the movies um, on my computer with my earphones in. my husband was like literally a few feet away from me. And all of a sudden, I think and it's one of them, somebody drops down into the screen who's just been Killed, you know, drops d- down into frame. And I was like, ah! <laughs> 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 I am the person in the theater that screams all the time during horror movies. But what cracks me up about Friday the 13th is that it's just like nonstop death. Yes. death. It's like within the first five minutes, some poor kid is dead. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow. And, and then <laughs> it just never stops. It's relentless. It's just totally. like, bam. Okay, totally. you're dead. Now you're dead. Now you're dead. <laughs> and one thing I, I feel like is I, I sort of get the idea, the motivation for all these murders in the first yeah. one, but then the motivation gets a little vague. It's just yeah. like, and now here's a horrible creature killing people for no reason, <laughs> you know, and never die. Just doesn't die.
0: And it moves so oh, far away from God. what it like started out as, you know, like, like it's I'm so. <laughs> So far removed.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just,
1: just don't set yeah. your movie in space. Okay. Just don't set your movie in space. I know Corey's a fan, but I'm Lord not. Uh,
2: I know there's a Friday the 13th in space, right? That's, yeah, in, it's in, my enjoy.
0: favorite one. <laughs> love it. I love that one. Oh my God. It's, it's so I don't dumb. know if I'll it's get great. to that one. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. I hope you don't. <laughs> so <like the> apple. <laughs> right. Yeah. No,
1: no, 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 no.
2: It really does attract a weird audience. The Apple, trust me, it's had screenings everywhere. I've been to. I have to say, I've been to more screenings of The Apple, with these just crazy fans. It's like Rocky Horror Picture Show, you know. They they all, some of them dress up. They all know the words. It's 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 like a parody. Although when we were shooting it, it was not meant to be a parody. No, <laughs> it was being taken very very seriously. But whatever. I think those
1: movies, uh, you know, you, you, you mentioned Rocky horror and obviously the apple. And I think of like phantom of the paradise, like these Mm -hmm. kind of rock musical movies are real. And then I, but then I'll jump ahead to like Hedwig and the angry inch. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and there is something that draws in. Um, it's not just the musical audience. It's not just the, uh, punk audience. It's a little bit of everybody. So maybe that's why yeah. it appeals to so many people. Who knows?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's entirely possible. Yeah, Phantom F- of the Paradise is one of my favorite. I I don't even think I've seen the movie, but I bought the album years oh, and years ago. I love that album.
1: It's great. Um, um Paul, was it Paul um uh, Paul uh, Williams?
2: Yes, Paul Williams.
1: It, it's a classic.
2: I remember you forever. Na, 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 na. Oh, i used to know all the words can't believe the price you paid for na, 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 na.
1: that's awesome that's so good <laughs> that's our pattern
2: of the paradise in case you don't know
1: <laughs> no that's perfect i love it um give you full credit for the remake we'll put you in that you know so. yeah, sure. oh, okay okay cool well th- again they don't hopefully they don't remake that movie and and i like the fact that that Starfighter may get a sequel, not a remake, because right. I don't not the, we're not a fan of remakes per se. But um, l- like I said earlier, and you had brought it up that, that the idea of Last Starfighter uh, getting this rebirth, right? And uh, I was listening to an interview with um, Seth Rogen, and he was talking about how mm-hmm. he wanted to do a remake of Last Starfighter or or a sequel or something, mm-hmm. and that became Future Man. And then um, Steven Spielberg went right. on and did Ready Player One, right? So.
2: Right, yeah.
1: But here you are. Yeah, like- I
2: mean, here I am. Now, it, it's interesting how, you know, The Last Starfighter, that, that kind of leads into some other shows. Um, it'll be very interesting to see what happens with the sequel. I mean, they've been teasing it for a couple of years now. And, but the great thing about it is Jonathan Betchel, the original writer, is a part of it he's writing um as far as i know um uh the director is a part of it and they want to it's called well who knows what it will be called um yeah that's nick castle obviously um but but it's sort of like the next generation and um they have said that uh lance and i will be involved sort of as the parents somehow um so i feel like all the original people that are involved will will give it um a sense of integrity i think yeah you know they're hopefully i'm sure it'll be much more you know cgi obviously um much more sophisticated cgi um and probably a lot more action-packed but I don't know you know I think the trailer park is gonna be in there and it's got to be which is good which is good yeah. right it's got to yeah. have you've got to have some you know real characters that the audience can kind of spring from to keep it keep give it that sense of uh, that something you can relate to on some level yeah
1: well I think I think in this day and age it's 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 more relevant than ever um, yeah. you know I showed it look I showed it to my by now well he'll be seven next week but my five-year-old at the time mm-hmm. and he absolutely loved it um, the Aww. face melting scene terrified him but uh oh you know, yeah like, that, that's
0: <laughs> a, <laughs> i saw that she, in the theaters a kid scared the hell out of me but yeah loved yeah. it though you know
1: <laughs> and there's obviously
2: yeah, that's you, pretty
1: creepy it's pretty <laughs> creepy and there's a few scenes in that movie where he's like you know like like uh the kissing scene well actually no, no joke So my wife and I, whenever we kiss, he goes, oh, diarrhea, like every time now, (laughs) hand down. So to the point point where he made a card for us and uh, for our anniversary, and he's like, you can diarrhea, it's okay.
2: (laughs) <laughs> it's very very sweet
1: so there That's you go funny. um yeah yeah catherine catherine it was a pleasure to have you on our show and 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 i, I can't thank you enough for taking your time you're out of your busy schedule um and just thank you for, for... <laughs> it
2: has been busy but no i enjoy it but, well, and i'm glad you. to be busy too i mean i i feel very grateful to be busy oh and i'm happy to do this.
1: thank you and,
0: Uh, And it it was, yes, it was definitely an honor uh, getting a chance to talk to you. This is absolutely incredible. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Corey. I'm Zach. It it was fun. And give your wives a diarrhea for me. (laughs) (laughs)
1: It will do. I mean, that couldn't have been a better way. So you go watch Phantom of the Paradise. Don't watch Jason X. And uh, we'll go diarrhea. (laughs) That's terrible. I'm sorry. Don't go
2: crazy with the diarrhea.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You may die. Catherine, thank you so much again. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in person down the road.
2: Yeah, hopefully. I hope so. All right. Well, have a great Sunday, you guys.
1: Thank you. Put your toes in the sand for us, okay?
2: (laughs) Will do. (laughs) Bye for now.
1: Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Podcasting After Dark's exclusive interview series with Catherine Mary Stewart. And, as always, thank you for your support. Imagine, being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something, not human. Something, always watching. Something, always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide? If you were haunted, for seven winters alone. Podcasting After Dark presents, Seven Winters Alone. A dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook.